Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, a part of the amazing FBA family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader, co-hosted by myself, Michael Vizi, and Jason Miles, top 1% Shopify store owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving e-commerce business, look for The E-Commerce Leader on your favorite podcast app and subscribe today. Hey folks, welcome back to Conversation in the Middle of a Conversation with a Super Brainy Man. Hi, Marg from Stanford and Eva.guru and basically one of the sharper guys, guests I've had on for a while, particularly in the software as a service area that we've been talking about the genuine artificial intelligence as opposed to rule-based systems last podcast and worth bearing that in mind even if you're not really a software developer which most of us aren't if we're e-commerce operators although I know a few people who have both skill sets but for most of us we just use the tools but I think we have to like a good racing driver understand the mechanics of the tools we're using and understand the differences between the tools. Today, we're gonna to be talking about stock management. It's a huge problem. It's something that, that a simplistic solution, such as you offered by Amazon, or even just projecting forward on a spreadsheet, is probably not gonna be enough for you. And Eva addresses this as well. And there's a particularly exciting dynamic that happens between when you set up the pricing to avoid going out of stock and the amount of profit that you make as well. So we've got a few different things to talk about there and also reimbursement, which is much simpler, which is when Amazon owes you money, which is also something that Eva.guru will handle for you as well. So stay tuned if any of those topics, stock management, reimbursement, and how stock management and price play into each other are of interest. Stay tuned and take notes. What about the stock management piece then? So we've already sort of referenced it. First of all, let's dig into, let me ask some obvious dumb questions just to make sure I get people's attention. Why is stock management even a problem? It sounds like a dumb question and it is, but let's just hammer the nail for a minute. Let's just make sure people really pay attention. Why is it a problem? What are the effects of it? Oh yeah, that's like, I mean, and just because we are also the Amazon sellers, we thought like, why it should be a problem? Because if I'm doing FBA, Amazon should tell me, you know, how many units uh, I need to restock and, and I should restock it and it should be an easy, easy thing. So there shouldn't be any problem. But then during the last two years, what we see is like, by the way, Amazon gives you an estimation. I mean, a forecast about the, what you should restock. And unfortunately, let's say there is a lot of room for improvement with that, with that part of Amazon. And, and, you know, the thing is maybe for Amazon, it's a problem that, or, I mean, they're trying to improve, but maybe it's a, a mathematical problem, but for the Amazon seller, it's a, it's a life and death type of a problem. Like you really need to know if you're out of stock, doesn't work, you know, on, on Amazon, all the things you have done to increase your rankings, you know, will vaporize. So you need to avoid that by all costs, you know, if, if it's possible. So we look into this, we look at, you know, what Amazon is doing, what others are doing. And by the way, our starting point was we were playing with the pricing because we want to avoid the stock out by playing with the pricing. And in order to do that, we need to understand the sales velocity. And at that moment, we realized that, wow, there is a solution here. And the, the reason why the things doesn't work is because the way uh, the sales velocity forecast is calculated is not correct. So that's where we applied the AI. 
and we look at the last 20, 12 months or 24 months of data, and not just one particular seller, but thousands of sellers' data, and then we came up a better way of estimating the sales velocity. Because if you if you have the right accurate sales velocity, then you know exactly how many quantities you need. And, and that's how we ended up with the restocking solution. And I can give you a very, very like a dumb example, but if you are taking into account the December sales and then want to restock based on that in January, obviously it will be wrong because you know, maybe in December you sell 100 units. Doesn't mean that in January you're going to be selling 100 units. Maybe it will be like 30 units. Same thing like from August to September uh, or September to October, sorry, when it's moving to Q4, most likely the last 30 days or last, last even the last three months will not give you the right forecast how much you need to uh, you need to stock for, for the Q4 area. So there are like so many other parameters you need to look into and also the seasonality and the category depends, so defines the restocking piece. And that's how we ended up like, like it's a great problem. I mean, everybody's trying to solve it with some rules, but we applied AI, we got 98% accurate result as a, a, you know, when, when we do the restocking. By the way, 98% accuracy with something as fiendishly variable as, as restocking accurately is an incredible result, I've got to say. And by the way, this is the obsession of all intelligent Amazon sellers, like the ones who are acting a good scale and know where the problems actually, at least intelligently identify the genuine problems in their business, right? A lot of people focus on odd things. The intelligent people at least know where the really big problems are that they should be solving. And it's been such a constant discussion. 2020 really was the discussion from about March onwards amongst the, the mastermind members and, and, and my friends who are Amazon sellers at a bigger scale than I've ever reached, like several million a year or even 10, you know, eight, eight figures. They're obsessed with like, how do I accurately predict stock? Because I keep running out of stock on my best sellers and that is killing my profits because your revenue drops from whatever, uh, normally a big number by definition because it's selling fast before it goes out of stock. That's why it goes out of stock to zero on your best sellers. And, and that's just such a soul-destroying opportunity cost. And to get accurate with that, I think it's the holy grail. I think if you guys have genuinely got this cracked, I'm very excited because I think it's just game-changing, absolutely game-changing. So we've talked about... Sorry. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you another tip about our software. And, and if anybody else can do it, I'll be very happy. Let's Let's try to help all Amazon sellers. It's not only about one SKU or one product, because like the the business problem is, uh, let's say I'm an Amazon seller and I have 10,000 pounds and I have like multiple products. Now, what I'm going to restock, like how I'm going to restock my uh, inventory based on the money that I have. Like like we just we really made it a business problem. And, and that requires a balanced inventory restocking system. By the way, these systems are used in the industry for the last maybe 30 years, but I have to say the versions on the e-commerce is like really primitive because it just focuses on one single product. But I have like five products or 50 products, and I need to have like an algorithm which can really take as an input how much money I have, actually, and then based on that, we'll do it in so balanced way based on the inventory days rather than the number of quantities and come up with the best way of, you know, a balanced inventory restocking system. That's what we do. 
Yeah, that makes sense as well. And I guess it's ultimately fascinating for me how, as I learn more about business gradually, one of the things that strikes me is a lot of things about capital allocation. And this is a classic capital allocation question. You don't necessarily need a response like, what would your ideal stock of this be? Because if cash flow were no object, you'd have 12 months worth of stock of everything just in case, right? But that's never the case. You have to maximize a limited resource and therefore allocating the, the capital accurately where you're going to get the best return on it is actually, it's a kind of a micro investment question, but it's a bit like you went to your stockbroker and said, okay, I want to invest in a portfolio of a thousand shares over the next 90 days. No human would be able to do that, but we're kind of asking a similar problem when, when we're sort of making micro bets on product lines, right? It's very actually sophisticated economics going on quite quickly. Even if you've got, as you said, only 50 product lines, that that's quite sophisticated stuff. I mean, uh, yeah, well, this is kind of mind-blowing, but I, I, this is amazing stuff. So we, we've talked about the repricing. We've talked about restocking. Obviously, one of your latest things is reimbursement. So how does that sort of impact? Right. I know you've said to me before the show that it, there's been a really, you know, to you, surprisingly quick uptake of, the, of your reimbursement tool. So how does that work? And why do you think reimbursements are important? Why, how do they play into the overall flow of cash and stock in our businesses? Right. I mean, you know, and that's really crazy because I'm like getting so many requests now on the reimburse and and we are trying to help our all our Amazon seller customers. Here is the thing, right? When you leave it to Amazon, it's great. You know, they do all the, the Amazon fulfillment, picking, packing, shipping, delivering. And that's really great. I really love FBA. The challenge is Amazon is growing so fast. You know, even in UK, they are opening new warehouses. They are hiring like lots of people, hundreds of people. They don't know exactly what they do. They are learning on the job. I think that as a result of this expansion and the growth, what happens is like all the time something happens like within the, the whole transits between warehouses, you know, accepting the deliveries. What happens is like some of the things get damaged, lost and a lot of other things like and amazon is like really sorry for that right i mean they really want to pay you back because they damage your stuff they they lost your stuff the challenge there is even amazon doesn't know some of the most of the time like what they really damaged or or maybe they they calculated your fba fee in in an incorrect way but they already did it like they don't know what they don't know now the thing is because like we have all this data from Amazon and we work on the seller side and we thought like at some point, why don't we show the customer like what's going on with his reimbursement? So we created the reimbursement analytics. And as, as soon as we created the reimbursement analytics and we made it also transparent to our users, like how much of their stuff is damaged, lost and the potential that they can recover because we we know roughly when we look at the data we can already immediately tell the customer what's the possibility to recover and then our sellers started to see on their analytics screen there's a possibility to recover $10,000 it's like wow what's going on here 10,000 like how how I'm going to do that like and they they started coming to us and then we we looked at like we are almost like creating a a dissatisfaction with our customers like because they are like i mean you told me that i can recover this money tell me now how or or better do it because i don't want to deal with amazon you know like they're like opening cases following up with them writing the, the using the right language and all that stuff so that's how we ended up with reimbursement uh service and believe it or not 
it's it's on average 3% of the FBA revenue has some challenges and that money can be reimbursed. And I'm talking on average. I have seen up to six, 6.2% of the revenue. Like what I'm saying is if an Amazon seller, an FBA seller is selling $100,000 uh, every month, potentially there is $3,000 of things that went wrong and also, potentially, that seller is not is not aware of maybe aware of only fifty percent of that, and the other fifty percent is just gone. You know, if you are not claiming your money, nobody will give it to you. That's the rule. Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, just to put that in perspective, because again, the revenue is always a terrible metric and gives you points in the wrong direction. Hundred thousand dollars of revenue. Let's say your business is pretty efficient. Your operating profit is say twenty percent. If you get an extra three percent, you've increased your operating revenue by much more than three percent you've increased it by whatever that is i mean uh, i should know my math should be better than this about a six on a 12 15 percent i mean it's actually a significant chunk of cash that goes straight into your pocket or indeed your your investors pockets if you're paying dividends so that's really important to get right so okay so you guys are very good at identifying the problem or identifying the opportunity of amazon owes you ten thousand dollars or whatever it is so how does it work do you guys now just kind of automate sending a load of cases to amazon and saying are oh, you giving me the money how do, how do you actually d deal with that oh that's a very important part because there's an amazon term of service like which basically says you cannot automate or use artificial intelligence on the reimbursement process so what we do is like we get all the data we show the customer what's the possibility to recover and at this moment if the customer you know kind of grants us, us the access we go with we have a team it's really a manual and it's a tedious process we have a, you know a very strong team they basically go into amazon they look at the last 18 months of data that's the maximum you can go back and for the last 18 months of data we start opening cases on amazon we open Amazon asks for, for more information. Sometimes they reject. We open again, exactly the same thing. Maybe they will approve. Like we know how these things work. And then basically we get them approved. Immediately the cash goes back to the Amazon account. It's a beautiful moment, of course, when you see all this cash flowing into your account, especially if you haven't done anything in the last 18 months, the number can be huge. It can almost help you to grow your business, you know, to some extent. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and I do remember this is maybe three years ago. A friend of mine, he was doing a few hundred thousand dollars a month and he got some reimbursement. He just employed somebody full time to work on it. And I think Amazon owed them $180,000 or something. And this was probably after maybe two years of operations around that sort of level, maybe 100,000 to 500,000 a month mark, and they hadn't got reimbursed. Yeah, absolutely. The money in the Amazon's account that belongs to you can be really quite staggering i mean that's like that's just not a small number even relative to a few million a year so yeah absolutely worth doing so the, i guess the final area we need to cover is i guess the kind of least sexy on the surface of it for, for me the most sexy which is the profit analytics because i think people constantly underestimate the potential that is locked up in their business in the numbers and my experience has been that actually even really primitive manual analysis by little old me will suddenly make people go oh my goodness i didn't realize that you know 10 of my 300 SKUs was giving me half of my profits and, and things like that so obviously you do a much more sophisticated job so let's let's start off by asking what do you think are the most important mistakes or missing bits of information that you see amazon sellers have in their businesses in this area of profits 
Right. Well, I mean, everything starts with understanding the profits. I mean, if it's really profitable or not, all this SKU. So the number one thing is to make sure that you have all your costs um, in one single system so that you know what's your cost and how it is changing over the time. I think that this is like the, the first kind of mistake, but most of the Amazon sellers now use a lot of tools and they kind of like put it put the cost in. There's one thing that I, I found it very, very interesting that advertising is always treated like a separate animal. Like the cost of advertising is never incorporated back into the eco, back back into the product and it's dynamic. And then when I ask about like what's your advertising cost per SKU, it's not even like I don't see even a very clear answer like from the from the uh, sellers. Like they just say, well, that's not how we do it. Like, what do you do? Well, ACOS. Okay, so ACOS, I got it, you know. But what about like that cost? Like, are you incorporating it back to your cost? Nobody's doing it, you know, like, because if you know exactly how much money, you know, you are spending per SKU for the, and then that's also like another cost item goes back to your product, which is the way that it's done for the last 30 years in, in the retail space. But in the e-commerce space, it's like, completely special advertising budget. It's great for digital marketing agencies, you know, because there are tons of them. It's great for Amazon, but actually it's a cost. And I'm not saying not to do it. I'm saying spend it, but be aware of how much money you're you're spending and make sure that that goes back to your cost as well. That will be the number Absolutely. two. Yeah, that's really, really incredibly important. And by the way, there's a simple metric that I believe comes from the retail space, which is advertising sales ratio by SKU, by product line. So very simply, if, if product um, X I spent last month, I, I um, spent uh, $100 on advertising and I made $1,000 in revenue, then my advertising sales ratio is 10%. And knowing that for every single product, I think is absolutely right, a critical number. What's nice about it is it isn't platform specific either, because if you're running a bunch of Facebook ads, which by the way, if you're trying to make profit on Amazon, it's probably a stupid idea, but okay, for launch, maybe, you know, so your Facebook ads plus your Amazon ads plus whatever you feel the need to, to chuck into it, you can just put it into one figure, which I think is quite robust because it's a profit related number. Because if your gross margin before advertising is 40% and you're spending 10% ATS, you know, you're making 30% after that, then you can very quickly see how much gross contribution margin or gross profit, whichever things you like in your, your economics. You're, that product is contributing to your system, right? And I think you're absolutely right to to put it out separately is is a dreadful mindset mistake because you're just playing into Amazon's hands. And it's worth saying again, uh, we've said it more than once in the podcast, Amazon's main profit center within Amazon.com, so we put AWS to one side, is advertising. It is absolutely not selling products. Um, so they love it when you spend a lot of money on advertising. They could care less about the sales, to be frank. I mean, they get 15% commission, but... So I think it's so important that, that we absolutely keep an eagle eye on the advertising. I mean, what are your solutions? How, how do you kind of advise or how does your system slash your advice to your clients work when it comes to incorporating those costs properly? Exactly. And as we as we as we talked, you know, the, the whole idea is like once these costs are incorporated into the real into the product and build the cost, 
it's a dynamic one. So maybe a, a number three item for the for the private label sellers, and that that makes the dynamic pricing inevitable because, as I mentioned in the beginning, all the costs are dynamic, and especially the advertising costs changing from like day to day. So why the product price is static? If the product pr- price plays or like changes based on the like if, if the cost is an input, you know, I'm not saying it's the only one, right? But and the product price is changing by the by the impact of advertising and all that stuff, which means that the product cost, the product price can also help keeping the tacos or what we call the tacos. Uh, very famous, you know, American, <laughs> you know, dish. The tacos uh, stable because how can you keep target ACOS stable if your ACOS is increasing? But if you also increase the price, then the ACOS will go down. And we have seen that playing with the price and ACOS at the same time creates a twenty percent better output if we keep the same velocity and maximize the profits as well at the same time. Wow! Uh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I mean, I think there's so many variables. I mean, what strikes me, uh, uh, this is why I guess it was kind of inevitable, really, that somebody had to come up with a proper artificial intelligence engine because there are multiple variables and they affect each other. So it's just a very complex dynamic system. As you say, it's a bit like sort of free economics, which is a very excellent book about economics. As a classical economics says, we're all independent operators that work on our own. We make rational-based decisions. The, the truth of the matter is, one person going to a restaurant influences somebody else to go to the restaurant, which is influences somebody else to go to the restaurant. And then you have to come up with a model which accounts for the fact that the output of an event also becomes the input for that event and it becomes the out the input for another event and it gets very complicated very quickly. So I guess the more I think about it, the more I'm kind of amazed we've managed without artificial intelligence to go with it. And no wonder everyone's struggling with this stuff. So okay, you've 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 said okay, having all your costs in one single system is really important. That totally makes sense. Knowing how your costs change over time, having dynamic pricing to respond to dynamic costs particularly advertising and and as you said incorporating advertising into it all very very good stuff so what are the things that you guys prioritize showing your sellers in your sort of dashboards what are the numbers that you think we really need to keep an eye on or in other words what are your crucial kpis absolutely so one of the things that we basically get all the costs from amazon like all types of things that amazon is charging to the seller unfortunately on the amazon seller central that's not always a, 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 a that's not always easy to find you know you can find what you want but it may take like 12 clicks to find the inventory storage fee and maybe five clicks to find what's going on today's um, sales so what we do is like you know combine everything aggregate all the cost information what happened during the last 30 days or the la- the last month or last quarter that's the number one thing that we we deliver number two is I mean, very interesting, but true. The the what's going on during the current day today? It's not easy to find on Amazon. You always get what's going on yesterday, the day before, but not today. But actually, today's information is is very important because if you if you don't see the velocity today, maybe there is another problem. Like many people use it, use our system like a command and control center because we are almost giving real-time data, almost real-time, or we call it near real-time. But what happened like just one hour ago in your system and who bought your last product? Like we almost like have all that information that is displayed to you as well. So in that sense, uh, it's an analytical system, but it's almost like an operational system as well, and which which really helps. 
then we think that when we segment the products, we realized with private labels, there is always like a couple of products that are making 20% of their sales. So they're like these top sellers and the top sellers are the ones that are driving the whole uh, store rather than all products. So it's like all products are equal, but some are more equal and all these more equal products, like we kind of segmented in a way that what we want the seller is really to focus on this top selling SKUs and this segmentation and make sure they are on top of what is available in the inventory, what is back ordered, what is inbound, as well as how the price is changing and how the profit is changing. So we show all these things is this kind of like a real time command and control center. We make sure that seller is on top of this, this top selling, for example, 10 SKUs. If we do that, Basically, that's also what we did in our business and the the business grows. I mean, there is no way it may not. And and you spend the minimum amount of time rather than all the time on Amazon. Just focus on the right things and we show you all the rest. So that's our um, KPI. Amazing. Yeah, that's that's beautiful. And by the way, this is like an implementation of something that's not rocket science and everybody knows about the 80-20 principle, but actually implementing it is very rare. Like most people know you you should do that and they go, yeah, 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 that's great. Now, how do I get all hundred of my products or 400 or whatever to sell equally? And and the answer is like, mate, no, that's not how reality works. (laughs) Instead of trying to make all your products sell, um, accept the fact that some of them will not sell very much and just maybe stop stocking them, duh. Again, an emotional discipline, it's easy to say and hard to do, but the top, you know, 10, 20, 30 SKUs were driving everything. So just focus on that. And it's really simple thing to say, but when you've got a tool that makes it easy to see it visually, then it's much more easy to actually do that thing, right? Which otherwise quite requires a lot of sweat and manual labor to identify because I know my products. Plus, you know, some of my most of my members they actually listen to what I say, which is really re- reassuring. And I say things like you should do an 80-20 analysis of your sales. And they literally do it, but it's taken them seven hours or eight hours. To, to figure it out so this is really good stuff so i kind of want to apologize to the listeners but not apologize we've spent a lot of time which is unusual for us talking about the features of a particular software but that's because it's kind of hard to manually do the stuff we've been discussing although i think the topics and the areas that we need to become expert in are very important in themselves whether anyone uses either or not but it has to be said obviously you guys are doing some stuff that to do manually would be really very difficult to do. So tell us a bit more about Eva itself. This is your moment to shine. What, what are the features that you, you think are the most essential for people to know about? Right. I mean, you know, we talked a lot about all this restocking, repricing, reimbursement, and I'm sure that all the Amazon sellers already like love the ideas. But there's another couple of things that are very important in the way that the, we designed Eva. I mean, Also, I mentioned that I'm a computer engineer myself and I hate engineers, okay, like myself. (laughs) The reason is that, you know, like we just like try to make it like so analytical, like try to fix every single problem, but the problems are different. Like you mentioned, 80 to 20 rule, like if you, it's almost like on Amazon, it's like a 95-5 rule. It's like you can fix the 95% of the things in, in five minutes and then there is the other stuff. So, but the, the engineer is always focusing on everything, like everything is equal, which is not like it's every problem is not equal. So that's our number one principle on EVA. We, def- we, we are the engineers, but we kind of sell the stuff. We make sure that as the sellers, we've implemented what we want to see. Number two, 
is like we don't want the users to spend too much time on Eva or anything uh, uh, per day. Even if a user, a seller spends 15 to 20 minutes on Eva, that's about it. Because all the rest of the things that are that are done by AI, like calculate the restock, calculate the reprice, how much to reimburse, how to reimburse, everything is done on the back office. The What we want is like the Amazon seller to feel like a king. You know, you are the king. We are the king's right hand. I mean, go to the system, spend 15 minutes, ask about the situation, what's going on in my kingdom, you know, make sure you get the right stuff and that's it, you know, close it, move on. I mean, I'm not saying go and spend your time on the beach, but either if you want to work on something, please go back and find the best products or build your manufacture the best one. I don't know, but it's more about focus on the brand and quality so we can take care of the rest. So we want our sellers to spend 15 minutes uh, and to make sure they focus on the right things and we will take care of the rest and make sure that what our what uh, you know some of the outcomes in 3 months we see a 30% uh, increase on the profits and by the way it's not only just the profits we increase the profits by increasing the revenue because all these things about repricing and restocking helps the revenue to increase obviously so we see even a more revenue increase over the three months. And all these things are done by a user who spent 15 minutes uh, on top of our software, not like Excel sheets and doing a lot of calculations. I know that the Amazon sellers are spending hours and hours on Excel, and I spend nothing, <laughs> no time on Excel. And not because I'm using Google Sheets, but also, you know, like I, I like the Eva to, to do the job for me rather than, you know, myself. Perfect. Yeah, I love that. I, I, you want them to feel like a king. I mean, that's just fantastic. That's everyone should feel like a king. I like that that idea that you, it's a lovely feeling. But joking apart, I mean, I guess my experience of artificial intelligence solutions, as I said, with the PPC area, which I know you guys don't really deal with, is that, yeah, you kind of press go and then you go and do other stuff and you look at the, the analytics. In this case, I was managing a very small account just to test the system out and you look at it and you go, oh, that's really efficient advertising. I spent $100 and I've got $500 in sales. And actually, that's just the advertising-driven sales. It will have driven the organic rank, et cetera. And it's just, I have to say, I've had a bit of the, the feeling of that. I haven't test-driven Eva.Guru. I know we, we're going to set that up. I'm really, really excited about it because I think what, what you've done is built a tool that, that answers the important questions. Quite often, as you said, <laughs> engineers have a bad habit of creating, an, and even people at Apple who are obsessed with the user experience still do that. They create a tool that answers a problem that nobody except an engineer actually had in the first place. And I think what you've done is you, you've seen the stuff that is a real genuine pain point for Amazon sellers. Above all, you know, not getting the profit you could, going out of stock, not knowing what on earth is going on, and you've simplified it down, and then you've you've given the rest to a, a genius to work on. That's just great stuff. I mean, very exciting stuff. This is really quite different from what I've seen out there. So if you, I believe you've got a little cheat sheet on some common uh, mistakes that Amazon sellers make, and that's an amazing fba.com forward slash Eva, E-V-A. If people want to actually use the software, do they have to kind of make an appointment with you? Do you talk it through? Do they just sign up? How does that work? Oh, that's great. You know, give that to the user. So it's really very easy. You know, if the users go to eva.guru and they can just, you know, co connect their store in three minutes and use it 15 days for free. And after that, they can sign up. 
another thing that we really look into, we really look a lot is like the customer delight. We call it customer delight. So like the, the, the number one group in our, you know, organization is the customer delight team. And I am not just the CEO, but my main function is I'm the customer delight manager personally. So what I do is like, whenever I have the time, I spend it with the customers. So anybody signs up, you know, you know, using the Amazon FBA through coming through, you know, the, the, after this show, uh, I, my personal promise is I'm going to spend some time with them. Make sure that, you know, being an Amazon seller for a decade, it's not only about Eva, but I'll be personally helping them to make sure I understand their business and I help them to grow that business. And if they use Eva in the meantime, it's even better for both of us. Very generous offer. And considering you've got to seven or eight figures with your own Amazon business, that's in itself a valuable consultation for sure. So great stuff. Well, look, I love your enthusiasm for your subject, but what I think is really great is you've spotted something that is not being serviced well. And instead of just producing another sort of software tool that is almost indistinguishable from everything else, frankly, this does seem genuinely different. So it sounds like you're getting great results for people like a 30% profit increase over three months is not a subtle difference. I mean, if you start scaling that across a business, you, you start doubling the size of the business uh, at a, a different rate. You, you know, the growth rate of the business in 10 years time is going to be completely different. It's, it has all sorts of incredible second order effects. So that's just absolutely massive. So very exciting stuff. Eva.guru guys, if you want to go check it out or amazingfba.com forward slash Eva, if you want to get the, the cheat sheet and um, just remains for me to say you in Stanford, the beautiful university behind you and Palo Alto and all that sort of Silicon Valley legacy that you have, you know, this incredible computer stuff, you're kind of at the forefront. Amazing that you've now been working in artificial intelligence for for two and a half decades, I guess now. So that's it's a labor of love for you as well, I can tell. This is not just a, a little business opportunity. So it's been an honor to talk to you and uh, we'll be very excited to see what you do next with Eva as well. Thank you so much Likewise. for coming on the show. Thanks so much for listening to the 10K Collective Podcast, part of the family of amazing FBA podcasts. Today's episode is sponsored by the new e-commerce podcast, The E-Commerce Leader. The podcast is hosted by yours truly and Jason Miles, multi-million dollar Shopify owner and Unimi's highest rated e-commerce instructor. If you're the owner of a thriving online business and you want to become the best e-commerce leader you can be, it's got your name on it. For free guides and mini courses on many topics, go to www.theecommerceleader.com.